Greetings, everyone. My name is Scott. I'm the senior pastor of Bethany. It's a joy to be with you here as we continue a sermon series called Our Family Tree. So we preach to God's surprising good news of the gospel from Matthew 1. Today we come to an, uh, another unlikely, sometimes difficult, but ultimately really beautiful story. Today's story is the story of Rahab. Will you pray and uh, join me as we lift all this up to the Lord? Jesus, thank you so much for Advent. Thank you for the season of waiting as we anticipate your birth. And Lord, we celebrate your goodness, even in a world that uh, it's easy to, to miss it sometimes. But God, would you help us not miss this moment? Would you help us tune in to our eyes and our ears, mostly our hearts, God, as we think about you, as we consider you, and consider your great birth, Christ, uh, through this unlikely character of Rahab in your family tree. Lord, we know these stories can unearth surprises and sometimes difficulties and sensitivities. And so, Lord, may we just be present to what you want to say to us. May there be some good news for us today as we learn more about the story of Rahab. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, our sermon title today is called The God Who Keeps Promises as we consider the character of Rahab. Uh, many years ago, maybe 20 or more, I worked in Hollywood for a little company called Trimark Pictures. Uh, at the time, it was the last independently owned film studio in Hollywood. Later, after I left, got bought by Lionsgate Entertainment. And my first job when we, my wife and I moved to Los Angeles was working at Trimark. Um, I was working in the publicity department, but what I really wanted to do was be part of telling great stories to the world through film. And so though I was working in publicity, working on press junkets and bringing talent into the city to be interviewed by press, what my passion was, was script coverage. Now, script coverage is when you help move your production department just reading scripts and giving feedback. These three don't read, but these two you should definitely look at. And so I met with our director of production. I said, I know it's not in my JD, but I would love to read stories and she's like, great, here's two feet of scripts. There was like 15 scripts. Like, bring me your thoughts on Monday. And I just, over the, the season of employment, I got to read a ton of different movie scripts and even started to write some scripts. And I, I became really curious about what makes a great movie script. There's got to be surprising characters, heroes or heroines. There's got to be redemption. There's got to be brokenness. And, you know, stories that are like two on the nose that are a little bit hallmark. I know it works in this season, but year round, those stories we kind of avert because we want something gritty. We want something we can relate to. We want something that ultimately be hopeful, but it's got to tell an arc of brokenness and conflict and intrigue and breakthrough. And in the family tree of Jesus, there are these incredible stories that we get to tell. We moved, obviously, from Los Angeles decades ago, but now as a senior pastor, primary task is we, as we every single week study the scriptures, like, Lord, what is the story that you told in scripture, and what is the good news it bears in our life? And I've got good news for you, friends. As we consider our family tree from Matthew 1, we are preaching the gospel, the incarnation of Jesus Christ through really messy stories, unlikely characters. Matthew includes no less than five women, a total of five women, if we include Mary. And the first four are these incredible stories of outsiders, of women who God used in really unlikely ways. 
Last week was the story of Tamar, that we are all included, no matter our pains, into the story of God. Today is Rahab, that is both the good news for when we need God's promises to come true in our life, and that we can be agents of change, even in the Jerichos of our life, to help be instruments of good news in a world who desperately needs good news. Next week will be Ruth, the following week Bathsheba, and then on Christmas Eve, we'll get to preach the gospel of Jesus through his earthly mother, Mary, the incarnation, the waiting. And these women of valor, these stories are surprising good news. They're better than any script we could conjure up, the, the script of Matthew 1. And today, as we consider Joshua, tree, uh, Joshua 2 and Matthew 1 and tell the story of Rahab, my hope is that you would be hearing your story anchored in this almost 3,500-year-old story of Rahab and the story of Christ, that there would be places that you would identify that you need God to break through. There would be Jericho-type things, instruments and obstacles of oppression in your life that you are hoping and believing that God is going to bring some life through. And that like Rahab, through you experiencing some of the good news of Christ in this season, you would be good news for others. There are roommates. There are people on your dorm floor. There are people in your house. There are people in your family of origin. And we'll tell some hard stories today, but the point would be that we would be experiencing more hope. I know this season there are a lot of walls. There are a lot of Jerichos, if we use that more than just the, the, the literal translation of Joshua True, but there are these things, these instruments, these barriers that have kept some of us, you know, stuck or, or, or in places that just feel incredibly broken. But God's good news delivered through Rahab and then told in Matthew is that God will not only protect you, God will keep his promises to you. He will, and provide you opportunities to be good news for other people in your life. This is a story of redemption and a story of hope. So today, as we turn to this story of Rahab, we're going to look at Rahab's story. Hi, I'm Rahab. I'm from Jericho, but this will not define me. We're going to look at the thing that we need, uh, that when we're, obviously, when we see obstacles, God is often encouraging us to, to see an opportunity there within and then finally, we're going to consider the scarlet cord that comes through Joshua True with this divine invitation that God keeps his promises and we can impact the world as we keep promises too. So let's dive into this person of Rahab. The first point in your outline, I'm from, hi, I'm Rahab from Jericho, but this will not define me. There's this incredible story of Joshua in Joshua of this woman, Rahab, the star of the first couple chapters of Joshua, and she lives in the wall. Listen to Joshua 2, starting in verse 1. Joshua, son of Nun, the new leader of Israel, took over from Moses. He secretly sent two spies from Shittim. says, go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went in Jericho, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there, the two spies did. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites, they've come here tonight to spy the land. So the king of Jericho sent a message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they've come to spy out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and she had hidden them. So Rahab said, yes, the men came, but I didn't know where they'd come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them and go quickly. You may even catch up with them. But she had taken them on the roof. She had hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. 
So the men of the king set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. The woman, Rahab, is stuck inside a system, a Jericho. She's stuck inside the wall. But as the spies come, you see this incredible story start to unfold. The the men are hidden up on the roof under the flax. Flax in that day was laid on the roof of houses along the wall of Jericho to dry out. The finer parts of flax would be crushed and made linen. The rougher parts would be made into ropes. So you're seeing this incredible story as the spies will be delivered in just a moment. And Rahab was this woman of influence. She owns a business. She's named in several places of scripture as a prostitute. Some have speculated that could be like a boarding house or like a brewery or a tavern or just more like a house of prostitution. But she was stuck. She was a victim of a walled society. She lived on the outskirts of the wall. She lived in the wall, having a window that she could lower the spies to. But she's a businesswoman. She's got flax. She's got multiple modes of income. Some have even speculated maybe her harlotry was uh, in order to pay family debts. She's an unlikely heroine. Don't you love that God, our God, is a God of unlikely stories, is a God of unlikely heroes and heroines that here this prostitute would be named in the New Testament as righteous, as wise. And it's surprising really to find Rahab in the line of Christ. Of course, Rahab didn't know Jesus herself yet. Jesus wouldn't walk the earth for 1,500 years later. Rahab didn't have a Bible, but somehow the stories of Yahweh have come to her. She names God. I've heard of your Yahweh. I've heard, and in this way, though some of the Joshua conquest stories are difficult for us to wrestle with as we think about the wall coming down, as we think about people in Canaan that didn't turn to Yahweh who die, we wrestle with that. We should wrestle with that. But there's also this thread of grace that runs through Joshua, through Rahab, that she's grafted in. And a woman who has no resources in society, who has built herself up, acts in incredible bravery to save the lives of these spies. And so they come, she hides them, and then she tells this tale. Like, again, it would be this incredible, the incredible arc of characterization, make an incredible story for a film. She tells the king's men, they've gone. You should go and go quickly. She's ingenious. She works in order to save the lives of the people around her. We're going to see her as an agent of change for her parents and her siblings. She's this person of incredible bravery and cunning and faith. One scholar said it like this, the first story in Joshua is a story of grace, not wrath. Romans tells us that faith comes from hearing the message who is Christ. And so Even though there are destruction stories in Joshua, God, even from the beginning, is inviting people in. When you hear of me and you turn to me, I can work to save you. I can work to redeem you. That's what Jesus is in our lives, friends. Not just a get-out-of-jail-free card, but a, a story of transformation that we get to be taken, not just from the places that defined us, not from our old names, not from our old professions, not from the Jericho walls, not from whatever brokenness in our family tree or whatever you know hurts or heartaches. No, those things don't have to define us. 
No, we get, a, we get an invitation through this character of Rahab to consider when we turn to Christ in faith, God can redeem us. James would later say, you know, if you consider the faith, remember James, the brother of Christ who wrote, we, we did a series on James not too long ago. He says, if you consider real faith, faith without works, consider Abraham and consider Rahab. That's how much of a hero Rahab had been to the early church. This is real faith. What uh, James 2 says, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Rahab had this real faith. We don't know a ton about how she came to hear about Yahweh and all that it looks like, but she was grafted in. But make no mistake about it. She had the chips stacked against her. She was a Gentile, obviously, being in Canaan. She was an Amorite, a tribe of the Canaanites, particularly godless, known to even do child sacrifice. She was a prostitute. She was at the margins of her society. And yet God made a way for this unlikely heroine to be part of the bloodline of Christ. God brought her out from places of discrimination, places that were literally dying from the walls. See, Rahab was from Jericho, but God said, that doesn't have to define you. The walls of Jericho will fall, but you, Rahab, I will bring you out and bring you in among my people. Jericho was this especially broken place, one of the oldest inhabited cities in the world, the first city to fall in the conquest of Israel into Canaan, about 1,500 years before the line of Christ. Rahab was from Jericho, but that's not where God was bringing her. She had a bigger destiny, and this is a word for somebody in this room that needs a new story that needs to let go of the way the world has defined you from a past relationship, a past label, a past thing that you've held on to that maybe you feel unlovable, unforgivable, irredeemable. Christ came to make a way. And in this way, we're all like Rahab, invited in to the bigger story. And that's why when I talk about Rahab, I get pretty emotional because I want to talk to you about your life. Like God will sometimes need the walls in your life to fall in order to bring you into a place where he can write a new family story for you. Like there's times in our life where it just feels like, okay, the walls are caving in on me. God, where are you at here? What's happening? And these become moments of opportunity that the places you've been don't have to be places you're stuck anymore. God's, falling, God's calling us, rather, out and in to a deeper trust, that he's writing new stories, new stories. But for some of us, as we consider the family line of Christ, it is difficult because we think of our own brokenness. We think of our difficulties. It's much easier for us to go on a mission trip across the world than sometimes being a person of grace, even in our own home. We notice that this time of year. And in our own stories, there are these stories, these family secrets, broken relationships. Maybe somebody, you know, harmed you along your path. And so you've struggled to see how God can redeem broken family systems. These are the surprising elements that are often heartbreaking in our family trees. So I find it just completely ironic and beautiful that Matthew preaches the gospel 
through his family tree, our family tree, the genealogy of Christ. This became really personal for me about five years ago, this kind of surprising element of the family trees, because my own family tree had some surprise in it. Due to 23andMe and Ancestry.com, I got a message through Facebook about five years ago. Hey, I think we might be related. And come to find out there was two half-siblings in the world. I was raised thinking I had one brother. I'm actually part of four of us. My brother, a Lutheran pastor, brand new, I got to meet him, a Lutheran pastor in Milwaukee. My sister, brand new, got to meet her, a Christ-filled ER worker in Huntington Beach. And we face these challenges, don't we, when we look in our family story? Like, will we be people of grace and like no judgment? Or will we be people of truth? Like, we gotta do it better. And I really wrestled with this in my own season of like, how much grace, how much truth? God, can you... Help me be part of a new narrative in our family tree. And now we gather this new family of four. This, uh, we, we do what's called a sibling summit where we come together from into one of our towns and get to know each other and pray together and discover like new blessings through surprising ways. The places that the world tries to define us or brokenness in our past or in our families doesn't have to be where we're stuck. God's inviting us into new stories. The second thing I want to challenge us with through the story of Rahab, and I want you to stay with me here because I recognize this looks a little bit like a meme that you've seen online, but I want you to consider the story of Rahab, that when we see obstacles, God, through the story of Rahab is teaching us, I want you to see opportunities. I want you to not be defined by the obstacles you see. And again, we're in this together because I've had kind of a rough week, won't go into it, but it's much easier to preach it than to live it. But I'm committed to live this tension out with you together. When we see, when we see obstacles, Christ is encouraging us to say, what are the opportunities here for God to work? And if you look at the next part of Joshua 2, picking up in verse eight, uh, the story continues. The two spies from Israel lay down on the roof of Rahab, up under the flax. She went up to the roof and she said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, those of us in Jericho, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God, Yahweh, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She's preaching here. She's preaching to the spies, this incredible woman. She says, now then, she starts to negotiate, swear to me by this Lord that you'll show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sign that you'll spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, all who belong to them, and you'll save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the minister. her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. This is an incredible story. Again, in that arc of what, what makes a great story, it's right here. This dramatic denouement, this tension building to climax where she's negotiating. She's like, I've, I've heard about your God, but I have faith in your God. He's the God of heaven. He's the God of earth. Again, how do we know all this? 
We can speculate that maybe some people from Israel have been through Rahab's place of business. We don't know. But somehow she's heard the good news and she has become righteous and she has become faithful. Psalm 87 says, I will record Rahab in Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Behold, Felicia, Tyre, and Ethiopia. This one was born there. This is incredible. Psalm 87, you're looking for a great verse about racial reconciliation too. God is in business of bringing people from the margins, the Rahabs, people from different ethnicities and bringing them into God's family. And as we reconcile with others and we make space for people at the margins, we are declaring we worship a God bigger than any of our own imaginations. That God writes these good news stories that when there are obstacles, God says, there is an opportunity for my name to be made great. And so when we live with a bold faith, we're not, we're not just kind of hiding away. So, okay, well, yeah, God will fix it. We're declaring that the God of the scriptures that came for Rahab is coming for us too. We're saying, God, I believe that there is an opportunity in, in every obstacle. Rahab understands these spies are on the roof. That She knows Israel stands across the river. Like, we're gonna fall here. But she says, God, how can your name become greater? How can this obstacle become an opportunity? And she becomes an agent of transformation for her family. Like, pretty incredible. Like, she's up on that roof and she's negotiating for her loved ones. My life matters because my, my, my sisters, my brothers, my parents, most scholars say she's probably unmarried and maybe doesn't have her own children at this point. She's just grafting in anyone who she loves to say, will your God help protect them too? And friends, this is the, just the hopefulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the things we've been through, the horrors we face, the walls around us, the Jerichos, the brokenness, the struggles in our families, the heartaches can become places of opportunity for our faith to grow, places of our ministry to go. Like, what do we say when you've been through something incredibly difficult? We say, oh, you have a testimony. You have a testimony because you've been tested. Now, again, much easier to preach than to live, but we're in this together there are struggles that you're facing right now. Will you turn those into opportunity for your faith to grow relationally, financially, vocationally, emotionally, spiritually? Everyone in this room, if I'm like, all right, let's take a moment and write down our Jericho walls. Everyone in this room, man, we have obstacles. Can we grow our faith this season and believe that there are opportunities for our faith to grow in every situation? I'll tell you a story from history that illustrates this. Just kind of mind-blowing faith that some saints and heroines of the faith have displayed in the face of really uncommon tragedy. Consider Corey Ten Boom, who lived through World War II and was a POW from the Nazis because she and her family had sheltered Jews. She had endured unimaginable horrors. But even in the prison camp, she continued to see opportunity where others saw obstacles. And she preached the gospel and repeated scriptures that she had committed to memory until one day she came to the end. No more. No more opportunities. I've, I've had enough. And it was barracks 28. Corey and her sister Betsy were behind bars in a prison camp. And when they got moved to the infamous Barracks 28, Corey's like, I'm actually done now. Because every bed in the barrack was infested with fleas. 
fleas that would embed in the women prisoners living there. And Corey came to a place of hopelessness, like, I think I'm done now. God, I can't see you working anymore. And it was her sister, Betsy, who remembered the scripture, rejoice always, pray constantly and give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God. That's it, Corey, Betsy said in in their book, The Hiding Place. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. That's what we should do, even in the new barracks. And Corey goes on to say, I stared at her and then around at the dark, foul-aired room. And then we thanked God for the fact that we were together. And we thanked God because we had the Bible. And we thanked God for the horrible crowds of prisoners And we thank God even for the fleas. Because what they learned in Barracks 28, where the fleas were so bad, the prison guards would not enter. And so in that little flea-infested space became a, a liminal space where they could preach the gospel and they could care for one another. The fleas became actually, in a weird, bizarre way, protection from their enemies. I don't know what fleas you're facing right now. I don't know what things you're just like, and actually now I'm done, God, because though it sounds good coming out of Scott's mouth, no, this isn't an opportunity. This is just an obstacle. But friends, we're in this together this season. Are there places and opportunities that God's saying, even the fleas can testify if you turn all of your obstacles to me in prayer, in fellowship, in worship, we have the longest night service coming on the 21st where you can literally worship God in your pain. You say, God, I know that this is not how the world was meant to be, and I'm going to show up and declare that I'm going to choose to look for you even on the worst night of the year. So may we be people of hope like that. And finally, I want to talk to you about the end of the story here from Joshua True about the scarlet cord, because the scarlet cord becomes a symbol for Rahab of deliverance. And for us, it's a promise and a symbol that God keeps his promises to us. And we can be people of blessing, keeping our promise in the world, being people of hope to people around us. Listen how Rahab saves the spies, picking up in verse 15 of Joshua True. So Rahab let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of Jericho's city walls. And she said to the spies, go to the hill so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Rahab has this incredible strategic mind. So the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you brought your father, your mother, your brothers, and your family into your house, if any of them are outside your house in the street, their blood will be on their own heads, will not be responsible. But those who are in your house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you, if you tell what we're doing, we'll be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. I've already mentioned Rahab, she lived in the walls. This is like the particular place of marginalization. She lived in Jericho's walls. But all of a sudden the place where she was trapped became the opportunity to bless the spies. and. You know, the the spies say to her, like, take this scarlet cord. They don't say, go across town, take money out of the bank, buy something as an elaborate symbol. They literally say, take take this cord, this thing that's right around you. Some say, was it the cord that she lowered them down the window? Some speculate, probably not. It doesn't really matter. 
They say, take the thing that you have right here and place it as a symbol in your window that you're waiting for us, that you believe that God keeps promises, that you believe that your life can be redeemed, that you will do your part and tell this good news that we're coming back and your family will be gathered. And it's quite incredible, really, because the Bible is clear on a couple of things about this Rahab of the scarlet cord, that she had faith to really take action towards the deliverance of people, that she was considered righteous. That's what Hebrew said, that she was considered righteous, even though she was a very broken character that God had engrafted her into the family line, and that her faith changed the life of others. She was involved in saving mothers, brothers, sisters, her family. And in Joshua 6, it tells the end of the story, Joshua 6, 25, but Rahab the prostitute, her father's house, all that she had, Joshua saved alive. She lived in the midst of Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So spies just tell her, take the cord, put it in your window and believe that we're coming back. Believe that God keeps promises. Believe that your waiting will not be in vain. Believe that your life will not be defined by your old name, but in your new purpose. Believe that in your obstacles, God can use an opportunity. Believe that you have a purpose here to help change the world. And in this regard, the Scarlet Cord, friends, for me this week has been a symbol of hopefulness. That though every one of us has things in our life that are incomplete, that we can continue to believe that God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. And there's this pendulum swing, I feel like, in modern Christianity where we either, we go to this like toxic positivity that we can't name when things aren't right in the world, or we go to this constant brokenness that struggles to believe that God does keep promises and healing is real. We're meant to be people of the third way, people believing that, yeah, we've been through some rough stuff, but God's not done with us. God keeps his promises. As the lead pastor of Bethany North, it was one year ago, almost to the day that we had this beautiful renovated space, 15,000 square feet. We had been a mobile church for 10 years, but we had renovated the former family fund center. They were renting it to us for pennies on the dollar because they're going to develop it someday. And it was ready to go, friends, two weeks, Christmas Eve, our own space. And then, bam, a year ago, electrical fire, the place burns. Why, why don't you fix it up? I said, the whole building's condemned now. It's all coming down and condos going up. And so we're back to waiting. We're back to wondering, God, how will you use this for you good? I wrestle with that. Because to be alive at all is to have these scars around us, but we're meant to be these red corded Christians, believing that God keeps his promises. There's this incredible Brennan Manning quote that I'd love to share with you. He says, um, anyone God uses significantly is always deeply wounded. We are each and every one of us insignificant people whom God has called and graced to use in a significant way. On the last day, Jesus will look us over, not for medals, diplomas, or honors, but for our scars. I don't know where you need to be reminded that God keeps his promises. I don't know what the red cord looks like for you, but friends, 
may we be people of hope this season, that God does keep promises, that breakthroughs do happen. And while we're scarred and while we're waiting, God can still be trusted. And while we're wait, we're meant to be people of the good news, inviting others to the longest night service because they're really broken, to Christmas Eve service with us because they need to hear the good news of the gospel preached, to just being a person of mercy or compassion. Like the city changes when we live this kind of faith together. You hear me? Red-corded Christians believing God keeps his promises through us. It's remarkable. What a story. What an invitation. May this be our Christmas season together. Towards that end, let's pray now. Jesus, thank you so much for this incredible story of faithfulness, this incredible story of Rahab and how she was grafted in, how, how God, she became part of not just the kingly line, but Jesus, the righteous line, the line of salvation for us all. And Jesus, ultimately, this story is about you. This is about your unlikely birth and how your love changes lives and how you long to take people at the margins and all of us for all of the reasons that we're left waiting to tie the red cord. You invite us in, you give us a seat at the table, you put us in your family and say, go now and be a blessing. And so God, would you remind us that you keep your promises? And when you invite us to be people of mercy and grace and truth into whatever family system, whatever living situation, whatever work situation, whatever school situation, all of us are different, but all of us aligned by this, God. We want to be people of grace and mercy and hope and light. We want to be people of the red cord. God, we, we know what the world says about us. We know what the world says about the church, that our hope is not real, that God, you're not coming back, that your birth is really not that important. And we see our own brokenness at times as a disqualifier. Me, red-corded? No, Lord, I'm, I'm barely able to hold it together most days. And yet, God, still you come. So may our hope in you increase this season. May our faith in you be robust even while we're mindful of the scars that we bear. And may you light us up with a mission to see the city transform for your glory. People of the good news. People of hope for a city that needs it. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song, declaring we worship a God who keeps his promises. And as you sing, may you have the courage to name somewhere where you're waiting for God to break through. And may you have the courage to pray, God, who is somebody you want me to be a blessing to this season? We'd be agents of change together. Let's close in song.